Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzen, episode 405. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of this special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 405. Our first sponsor spotlight thanks goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. We're so excited that Syndicate has joined the Slow Flower Summit as a sponsor. And if you attend, you'll be heading home with some fun Syndicate USA-made swag. So check it out. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Angie Crossfeld of Michigan's Two Peas Flower Farm. Listen for my conversation with Angie in the second portion of this episode. Well, this is an important week in the floral world, and we wanted to draw your attention to two very cool projects happening in London and New York City. First of all, British Flowers Week is happening right now. It runs June 10th through June 16th, and we're cheering on this original Flowers Week celebration from across the Atlantic. As you may have learned from past episodes, the inspiration for American Flowers Week, which we launched in 2015, came directly from our friends at New Covent Garden Flower Market in London, who launched British Flowers Week in 2013. Follow links to British Flowers Week at our show notes and you'll see galleries of UK-grown flowers and installations in real time by following the social media feeds of the market, New Covent Garden Flower Market, and the Garden Museum in London, which for the second year will open its doors to some spectacular installations that the public can see and enjoy. The mission of British Flowers Week is concise and clear. Showcase great British flowers, plants, and foliage through great British floristry. Raise awareness of which British flowers are in season when, and encourage the public to buy more British flowers. Here's to British flowers. Second, in New York City, the new Leaf Flower Show debuts. L-E-A-F brings a riot of color across the city with what they're using in, in the hashtag NYFlowerWeek. It's a series of pop-up floral installations in which Manhattan will quite literally blossom on Tuesday, June 11th and Wednesday, June 12th. 
We'll have more information on this project in the future, but for now, I congratulate New York for bringing more flowers to the forefront of the city landscape. We're especially cheering for Slow Flowers member Sylvia Lukash of Harlem, New York-based Cape Lily for her installation at the Plaza de las Americas as part of New York Flower Week. Follow her feed on Instagram to see more. We'll share that link in today's show notes for you to check it out. Our own celebration, created and produced by Slow Flowers, is called American Flowers Week, and it's coming up on June 28th through July 4th. Please visit AmericanFlowersWeek.com to download a huge bouquet of free resources, including coloring sheets of all the state flowers and a blooming USA map, social media badges you can use, and a sample press release you can uh, personalize to local media in your own community. We've added an event calendar for 2019, so please check that out and upload your event to share with others. For the fourth year, we've produced the American Flowers Week bouquet label. Get in on this program and order labels for your bouquets and other promotions. Labels are available at an affordable price to active Slow Flowers members. We'll be fulfilling orders until June 21st, so don't put it off. Details are available in today's show notes as well at deborahprinzing.com. And now, on to our guest of the day, Toby Nelson. Toby Nelson is a return guest, and you may recall our past interviews. First, when I visited her and others in the Whidbey Island local flower scene, which ran in December of 2015, episode 223, and later in February of 2018 in episode 338, when we discussed details about the second Whidbey Flower Workshop. Well, it has been a privilege to collaborate with Toby Nelson on a number of projects, including joining the Whidbey Flower Workshop as both an instructor and speaker, and to interview Toby for articles that have run in both Florist Review and Country Gardens. Toby has helped to nurture my relationship one of, with one of her mentors, Hitomi Gilliam, and we've teamed up on a number of Slow Flowers projects over the years. When we had a last-minute opening for a Slow Flower Summit speaker, Toby came to mind immediately. I asked, and she agreed, which is wonderful news. Toby will co-present with Carly Jenkins of Killing Frost Farm during our morning session at the summit, immediately following Terry McEnany's keynote speech. Toby and Carly's expertise will blend beautifully as the two women take the stage to discuss sustainable sourcing and installation design. You'll learn from Carly about how she forages ethically and with an artistic approach that communicates a personal design vocabulary that truly reflects season and place. And Toby will discuss her commitment to no foam installation and event design, including methods you can immediately implement in your own practice. Their presentations will continue into the noon hour and during our lunch break when Slow Flowers Summit co-host Christine Hoffman joins Toby and Carly to demonstrate a large-scale botanical tapestry in the courtyard at the PICA Event Center. During lunch and afternoon breaks, all participants are invited to join in the creation of this sculptural structure designed in real time and produced using foam-free mechanics. I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. Here's a little more about Toby Nelson. A flower-loving plantaholic, she owns Toby Nelson Events and Design, a wedding and event floral design and planning business based on Whidbey Island, Washington, just outside of Seattle. Toby is firmly committed to sustainable floristry best practices and to advocating for change in our industry. Toby's mission includes sourcing locally grown botanicals, using eco-friendly sustainable floral design mechanics, never any foam, 
teaching these approaches to fellow florists and educating consumers so they can make better choices. Toby is the founder and creator of Whidbey Flower Workshops, a forum for sustainable design education. Recently, Toby has taken her sustainable floristry advocacy to a new level by launching a change.org petition called Make an Eco-Friendly 100% Compostable Alternative to Floral Foam. Nearly 1,000 floral professionals and consumers have signed the petition that asks makers of floral foam to take the request seriously and work to find green alternatives to the conventional product. I'll include a link to Toby's petition in today's show notes for you to check out, read thoroughly, and consider whether to add your support as a participant. Let's jump right in and get started. Please meet Toby Nelson and be ready to learn. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so thrilled today to inter- introduce you to my friend Toby Nelson. Hi, Toby. Hello. I'm really glad that we could get some time to record you for the podcast because we've got some big news to share with everyone. Toby is uh, the owner and creative director of Toby Nelson. Is it weddings and events, Toby? It's events and design, okay. legally. Toby Nelson Events and Design based on Whidbey Island, Washington, and I know that many of you have heard about the Whidbey Flower Workshop, so Toby is the creator of that. She's just agreed in the last month or so to come be a speaker at the Slow Flowers Summit, which is coming right up on July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. So that's kind of why I asked Toby to speak with us now. Um, there's so much going on in your life, Toby. Congratulations on, you know, just creating a buzz in a lot of arenas just by sheer force of your personality and your your energy. Give us a snapshot of your business right now and what are, are all the facets uh, in, your, in the Toby Nelson world? Oh, boy. I wear a lot of hats. Um, so, and they're usually floral. And they're usually floral, right. So, you know, my overarching commitment that is what it's the umbrella that everything is under is sustainable floristry. So making sure that I work without foam, always being first to source uh, sustainable grown flowers, locally grown flowers. Um, There's a lot more to sustainable floristry than that, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of the nutshell of it that I try to operate under. So of course, um, you know, the mainstay is primarily weddings and some event floristry work. Also, um, Education is big for me, so trying to produce that would-be flower workshop every year and then smaller things in between, so different, you know, day-long, half-day classes on wearables and centerpieces and that sort of thing, Um, as well doing some bigger workshops like speaking at Slow Flowers or Summit is going to be really wonderful for me, and then in September, I have a workshop coming up with Becky Feesby of uh, Prairie Girl Flowers, in Calgary, that's going to be great. So we'll do a day of teaching large-scale foam-free installations, which is a thing that's near and dear to my heart. I love to make big, crazy stuff without foam and play around with all the engineering that's required for that. Um, And that's also what we will talk about at the summit. So I'll talk about ways that I do that and all the different mechanics that I use and the different um, rigging Mm -hmm. and all of those techniques. Oh, good. Well, we'll get into a little bit more detail about the summit um, uh, in the second part of the podcast. I, I want to ask you about, um, you know, 
I remember when you decided to have the Whidbey Flower Workshop. And, you know, Whidbey Island is not, you know, not conveniently located to a big airport or anything. You have to take a ferry to get there. I guess it's conveniently located to Seattle, but it's still a bit of a commitment to get someone to come up on a ferry over to your island. Um, worth it. But what, yeah, it is worth it. And it's I'm like, so beautiful. It is. It's people have now treated, it seems to me, since I've attended for three years, they've treated coming to the would-be flower workshop, which is usually in late April, uh, as like their pre-season R&R and inspiration. And I just want to know, want you to talk a little bit about the genesis of, genesis of all of that, because there's so many workshops floating around in the universe and it's really hard to kind of break out and be different. And I think you are. I hope so. I mean, when I started, it's crazy. Time moves so fast nowadays. Um, and so when I started, there were workshops, but it wasn't as big of a thing as it has become. Um, and I, agree. I looked at different workshops that I wanted to go to and, you know, one would have a one sort of, way they would approach things and something, you know, I tried to gather the things that I liked best from all the different workshops that were being offered and then synthesize them. And I basically just made my dream workshop that I would want to go to. Um, and at the time, you know, the person I really most wanted to study with was Susan McCleary. So I just called her up and said, Hey girl, like, let's do a workshop. I didn't know Sue yet. <laughs> She's like, who's this person calling me girl? <laughs> I just, totally stalked her <laughs> and it worked <laughs> and so um that one I mean the first workshop full disclosure was really I mean it evolved I started with Sue and then I just kept adding things and um you know we added Caleb Norman James for styling and I added Sullivan and Sullivan photography and you know got to a place where it was really good and, you know, the, the thing that was real intentional about that was what I wanted to learn, what I wanted to share with people, which was foam-free installations, um, styling, how to style a vignette to take a, you know, a really nice shot for your portfolio, and how to work foam-free with both bouquets and centerpieces. So that's been the overarching thread is who I want to learn from and everything we do must be foam free. And so that first year we got the taste of a foam free install with Sue. It was beautiful. It was like a, like a half arch, but it climbed from the floor all the way up across the ceiling. Uh, as I recall. Yeah, totally. And it kind of graced over the dinner table and then we set a gorgeous table. So that was really fun. And then for the next year, I had been wanting to learn from Joseph Massey. He's, a really accomplished floral designer from the UK. And so he came over and taught us huge scale rigging and floral installations. We did three. Um, and then we did wearable art with Sue. So Sue did headpieces and that's primarily where people went. We did some tattoos and people had the option to do other things, but most people chose headpieces. So really when you think about it, sometimes florists have to be engineers and very much MacGyver sort of things. And so by covering the wearables and the giant things with Joe, the underlying theme of that second year workshop was really all about rigging and engineering your creation <laughs> yeah, without foam. Yeah, like the flowers were uh, incidental almost. I mean, obviously everything you, your, you and your students created was so beautiful. But you 
the takeaway, the value for the investment was that skill set that the people took in their toolbox when they went home. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you know how to make these structures and if you know how to think about how to rig a successful installation, then, I mean, the floral's important, but that's just the paint. But you have to have your canvas and your frame and all of that sort of figured out in order to be successful. So, and then the third year was like my complete brain dump of everything that anybody would need to know about foam free. We did low center pieces, tall center pieces, and then installations and covered all sorts of mechanics and techniques. And I realized that I really love teaching and I really love seeing the light bulbs go off in people's faces when they understand something and when they make that connection of like, oh yeah, this is the tool that I can use for all these different events. Absolutely. Like when I came to the final concluding dinner uh, that you held uh, on Whidbey Island after maybe two and a half days with your students, I counted seven or eight different installations that each had sort of a different, uh, either a different role in an event, like a chandelier, or as you said, a low piece, a high piece, a vertical piece, you know, that the, the thing on the front entry, like there were so many different iterations and applications and your students got to, you know, really engage with almost every aspect of what you'd be asked to do for, an event installation, I think, in terms of like the the reception, the the party, the the di- the dining, like all of the elements that you would probably have, you know, in a gig, in a job. Yeah, I hope so. My goal is to share generously. Yeah. <laughs> well, power. I also really love Toby, and this is kind of where I was going when I when we chatted before we turned on the recorder. I feel like I've it's been such a privilege to be your friend and your collaborator and watch how you've you had this goal on the horizon and you've moved toward it. And it's, I feel like it started in some part, in some ways with that first Whidbey flower workshop where you, I hope I'm not embarrassing you by saying this, but you at the time thought, Oh, I'm not the instructor. I'm just the, I'm just the hostess here. I'm just putting this event together. And then over time, because of your intentionality in all the projects you're taking on from styled shoots to, you know, collaborations. Now, three years later, you are in a role of, of the instructor. Um, and that that's legitimate and, and well-regarded. I think when I first started, I, um, I, I mean, I was definitely on the road to education. I've always been big for self-education. Um, but between that first one and now, I've gone out of my way to really study with some big, powerful people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean powerful, but some very well-learned, <laughs> you know, lifelong florists who have a treasure chest of information to share, like Hitomi Gilliam and Gregor Lerch and Thomas De Bruyne. And by having spent time learning with those sorts of people in that caliber of an instructor, I really feel like I've accumulated a body of knowledge that is worth sharing. So I feel like, you know, I've really upped my own game since that first workshop so that I have merit as Mm -hmm. an instructor, you know. And having done, you know, eight years worth, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's something. Having done eight years worth of weddings without any foam, I certainly feel like I'm qualified to speak on the topic, you know, like I've done plenty of stuff. I've failed a few times and I've succeeded many times. And so I know what works and well, I just yeah. want to 
you know, share that with people. Right. Can you just talk a little bit about why eight years ago you had that intentionality? Um, I, your background, you kind of got into floral sideways because you were in horticulture. So I'd like maybe share a little bit about that journey and then why you made that intentional choice um, early on in your business. Well, I was raised by... Um, my parents were definitely like kind of eco hippie people. I remember as a girl, like we would go to the co-op with my mom, we would drive away and we'd bring all our containers. And we went, there was at that time, there was a tofu store, like the whole store was de dedicated to tofu in bulk. And you had to bring your own container and you'd, you know, get the tofu out of the, <laughs> put it in your own container. Like, so I was, I started there. Right? <laughs> Sorry to laugh. I just <laughs> picture it. It's totally funny. Um, and so, I mean, that was the beginning. And then, so I started out in gardening. So I was a gardener for probably 20 years and committed to organic gardening. Um, and so from that, after kind of getting tired of bending over and being in rain gear and wanting a new um, exercise for my brain, because once you do something for so long, it's kind of nice to get a fresh take. And so mm -hmm. that's how the floral came in. But that lifetime of values about, you know, sustainability and organic gardening, it just felt really natural to me um, to bring that into floral. And, you know, the first couple times I did some projects, I did use foam because that's the, where I was getting the education at the time. That's what everybody did. But I started to think, like, what is this stuff, you know? And I think I did maybe four or five projects with it, just small and then educated myself about what it was and was pretty grossed out and stopped. And so, um, you know, I think the first couple months of my business, there was foam and then thereafter not because, yeah, I just was turned off about this plastic and the health hazards and the dust and... Right. And it's the, like, I'm not a, I'm not a precision control designer. And so I think the reason that some designers like foam is that they want that precision control. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And foam does provide that, but that's not my style. So it also wasn't a mechanic that was suited to my style. So it was natural also that I would look for the next mechanic because really that's the important thing for any florist is to find the mechanic that matches the design intention. Well, I think that's a really good point that... Um I've, I've run across this and I, I've actually had these conversations with myself. Like, it, what is the definition of an artist, but someone who works with constraints or limited resources or thinks outside the box in terms of a new solution? Um, and if that's the case and you're a floral artist, then you should be able to find a solution to get the look you want and maybe uh, not rely on this more uniform conventional practice. And I often want to say to people who, who insist that they can't do their design work without foam, I want to say, wait, I thought you were an artist. I thought you were somebody who could find um, a way to create your vision in, you know, because you're, you know, inventive or whatever. I don't say that, but that's what I think. And so maybe you're just being a little bit more forgiving and saying there is a way to bring that vision to life in the th third dimension botanically with, with new mechanics. And um, that's really what you're trying to teach now. Uh, I, I, I think that you're helping a lot of people who were afraid to break away from that reliable product. 
that uniform, reliable product. I hope so. And, you know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to belittle anyone for mm-hmm. the choices that they make. I don't want to judge, but I just ask everyone to think through their choices. And this is like not all only about foam. It's about anything you do. Mm-hmm. You know, think through your design choices and make sure that you're doing the best thing for your end goal. And people have a variety of end goals. And, you know, mine is always to have it be without foam. So that's part of what I think through is, okay, how am I going to do this without foam? Um, What's the craziest thing you've done without foam? That you would think that maybe uh, a more conventional uh, floral artist or designer would probably say, oh, this can't be done, like a wall or something maybe, right? Well... I mean, all the installations are without foam, but the thing that people come to me with the most questions about, surprisingly, are elevated centerpieces Mm. and the sort of ballroom style, which is a little less free and wild and a little more kind of regular outline, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, yeah, like they're more more symmetrical and a little bit more, uh, you know, multiples of the exact same arrangement, right? Right, like it's it's thicker, it's denser, it's more of a closed design. But you know, I I do those without foam, and I just use design dishes, and then I use several like overlapping rainbow layers of chicken wire, if that makes any sense mm-hmm. to people. And sometimes I'll put moss in and sometimes I'll put layers of excelsior in to give the matrix for mm-hmm. the stems to go in because you have a very, um, hard to describe in words, but the, the way that you, all the different angles that you have to use to insert your stems to get into the water, but it can be done. So, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily crazy, but I think for a lot of people who, um, are very accustomed to working with foam, that's the thing that gives them the most challenges because it's not, um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly why, but that's, yeah. that's not wild, but it seems like yeah. that's the most imp- thing that stumps people the most. Right? right, and the other thing that I think would co- go alongside that, the single elevated uh, centerpiece, the uh, the uh, corollary to that is like those elevated long floral runners that are, you know, above you, you know, what do you call those? Uh, I don't know. Elevated runners or something. (laughs) I mean, yeah, they're elevated centerpieces, but they're like, yeah, I think an elevated runner is kind of a cool. Like on a, but they're like on a board board or something. And so they often have bricks of foam lining that, that, that course, uh, you know, the length of a table. Yeah, interesting. Well, you did something like that at the last Whidbey Flower Workshop too, and um, I didn't see the mechanic, but boy, I loved I loved the results. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, okay, there's two things that more I want to talk to you about before I let you go. One is um, when you come to the uh, Slow Flower Summit, uh, I've asked you to partner with Carly Jenkins, uh, mm-hmm. who's a fun collaborator that I, you know, we all met together at the first Whidbey Flower Workshop. She's with Killing Frost Farm in Missoula, Montana. And Carly and you are aligned in a lot of your same values about sourcing and design, but you're going to kind of take the lead on talking about uh, the sustainable design. She's going to take the lead on talking about 
uh, sourcing practices, including foraging responsibly. And then together, you're going to lead all the attendees of the Slow Flower Summit kind of over the lunch break to start and finish, hopefully in one day, a large, a large scale kind of free, uh, freestanding floral tapestry. And, and it's kind of hard for me to ask you to describe what you're going to do, because we don't really know what we're going to do till we get, it's site specific, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, all the signs are. Well, also because the venue isn't really letting us get, um, get there and start fiddling around with things until maybe 6am that day. But, uh, in general, you probably have to think on your feet at the site as much as you want to plan. I mean, but I'm sure, I'm sure that that, that process has some, some, uh, boxes that you check. So you're always kind of thinking about the, the, the rigging and the mechanics before you even add a single stem to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, those are common constraints that we face and I always have like a basic game plan, but I have my rigging box that has anything that I'm going to need so that I have my like, oh shoot, we can't do this. We have to pivot, and we have everything there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's how that we. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that that's going to be very relatable for people because there are times you get to a venue and they're like, oh no, you can't attach anything to the wall or hang anything from the ceiling, and then what do you do? Right. Hmm. Well, this will be well, kind of a good. Hopefully people have done their venue visits beforehand and they figured that <laughs> out first, but and for, we will also do that. We just aren't quite there yet, but yeah. no, it's going to be good. I'm excited. Uh, and so that, I think that that'll be a wonderful situation where people can see uh, maybe more of a, like a visual slideshow and hear from you and Carly, and then put it into practice with something that, you know, it'll be very much a, you know, a group production, but everyone who wants to have a chance to try some of these techniques will uh, get their hands um, on, on, you know, the steps that that you actually do every time you're, you know, on a site, on a at a wedding or an event. Yeah, pull, pulling it off. Yeah. Well, yeah. My presentation will cover my most commonly used techniques. Um, you know, and I can't demo them all, but we'll have um, pictures of finished installations and then pictures of sort of the tools and steps along the way. And then I will work to make sure that we layer as many of those things into the installation as possible. And of course, I'll be around for people to pick my brain all weekend. Yeah, yeah. All, all the days. So That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're yeah. coming. It's going to be I'm awesome. I'm super excited to be there with everybody. Yeah, it'll be great. And I'm really glad that you and Carly, uh, I think I, I, there's some kind of magic when the two of you uh, team up. So it'll be it'll be really a big yeah. love fest. Yeah. Um, so you have... You have taken your um, advocacy work to a new level on sustainable design. Now, sustainable design is clearly a portion of what uh, the you know one of the legs of the stool of slow flowers as well. But I I stand back in awe of what you've accomplished, and I'm so glad you're part of the slow flowers community because everybody benefits because of your advocacy work. And can you just talk a little bit about, about what you've been doing lately and how people can learn more and perhaps join you in some of of the creative things you're doing. Yeah, I gotta take a moment though to share the love back to you because I think like Deborah, you started this community's foundation. So thank you for all mm. that you do for us. Um, and you've certainly been a big part of my story. But um, you know, I 
have all these conversations with people about working foam free and I have um, done some traveling and worked with a lot of different designers as I embarked in the education program um, called the European Master Certification and am meeting designers from all over the world that design with all different styles and approaches and just as I've been really looking at the big huge world of floristry across the globe it's kind of clear to me that you know, there are designers who really do rely on the precision of a foam product to get the design work that they do. And it just became really clear to me that we need a foam alternative that works for people so that, you know, people that live in really hot, dry places and who feel like they need foam have something. It goes back to that sustainably sustainability deal of like we don't need 10 people doing it perfectly we need 100 people doing it imperfectly mm, mm. and I love it if I can help provide an easy choice that makes it very easy for someone who doesn't want to take time to engineer and think out of the box or who doesn't feel that that's a fit for their design style or their climate um, we need an alternative and so I, I kind of have a <laughs> I'm a jump-in girl, and I don't always, like, look at where it is that I'm jumping into as quickly <laughs> as I maybe should. Because you're like, how hard can it be? Let's just start. Uh, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. So, you know, I just was, like, after, you know, talking about all this thing with people, oh, we need changes, we need changes. And I thought, you know, maybe Oasis, who is the, you know, main manufacturer of foam, certainly there's other makers of foam, but Oasis does the lion's share of foam making, Maybe they need to see how large this market share is so that they understand that, you know, how big this niche is. And there's a lot of people who aren't buying that product who would buy a substitute. And mm -hmm. so my goal, so I've started this petition. Um, to, my goal is to, to galvanize the foam-free movement and to help show support for an alternative to Oasis. So it wasn't to villainize anybody that works with foam and it's not to demonize Oasis. Like I think they're actually a great company with a lot of really valuable products and they're so generous with um, their sharing of resources to educate our community and put on shows. I've, I like the company. I just don't like this one product and right. I'd love to see some alternatives happen quickly because I think I mean, this is part of the whole pro the plastics industry in general, like our realization of how bad it is and how much we're using and how much it's piling up everywhere is happening faster than the science that's creating the substitutes. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what? Say that again, Toby, because I think that is really profound, what you just observed about the pace at which things are moving. Yeah, I mean, so much of our packaging is plastic. So we are consuming so much plastic and the problems it's causing is coming to light faster than the research can catch up with providing the alternatives mm -hmm. and solutions that we need to solve this problem. So and that's what motivates me to work without foam and to talk to people about working without foam. And, you know, that's just my work industry face of this overall movement. Like in my own private life, I'm trying to use glass containers and get off of products packaged in plastic. And I mean, it's so much bigger than foam. Right. But foam is my workplace 
you know, manifestation of it. So, but it seems like we need an easy, fair substitute. So that's the whole goal with this petition is just to show Oasis the huge market share that's available to them to encourage them to really put the gas into figuring out a way to give us other things that we can use to design that is foam free. And then we get into like language, like there's a lot of con confusion around the Max Life, the biodegradable foam that they have, um, and whether biodegradability is the measure that we need to be using or that a better measure would be a 100% compostable. Mm -hmm. um, and so you and I have been talking a lot with the King County Municipal Waste people. Oh, um, City of Seattle. City of Seattle, sorry, yeah. it's not King County. It's the Seattle Public Waste. And they've really educated me about the difference between the phrase biodegradable, which is not measurable, versus 100% compostable, which is measurable. And so, you know, they have world-leading standards for mm -hmm. all of their city um, containers that, re that restaurants need to use in packaging. And I feel like we need that sort of measure of accountability that we can bring into the floral industry to start cleaning up what is actually a pretty dirty industry with all of the pesticides and fungicides and that are used and all of the horticulture plastics that are used both in the growing and then as well as in the packaging of the flowers. There's room for improvement. Um, Absolutely, in so many ways. First, foam is just the first low-hanging fruit of that and I intend to have a much more widespread advocacy movement in my own kind of practice, but there's only so many heads and hats this girl can wear. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. You know, ask a busy woman to take on another task and she'll probably be able to do it with style. And uh, that's sort of what you've done. You have a the, the actual site has been created for people to sort of join is it called a petition or what? Yeah, it's a, it's a change.org petition. Okay. Okay. Yep. So we'll so, provide the link in uh, today's show notes and the show notes for today's episode. So people, if you haven't seen it, can go check out what Toby's provided. And I feel like the language that you've used is very, it's not emotional. It's not judgmental. It's very fact-based. Um, I really, I really want to have this be, um, yeah, not an emotional issue, but a science-based issue and also like we need to leave the lines of communication open because really these the floral product makers are our friends they're our advocates they're partners we need them we need the things they're making um, but it needs to be a team project they need to know what we want mm -hmm. and they need to know where we want to steer our industry and so I'm hoping that anyone that has an eco-friendly, sustainable bent in them can join this conversation and encourage our industry to clean up its act a little bit. So we've got that link. And then aren't you also kind of establishing a more of a, a an ongoing sustainable floristry project that, um, you know, maybe you're just at the beginning phases, but what, what do you envision for, for that going forward? Yeah, it's nascent. And so... Um, <laughs> And, and it's also on big pause because wedding season is coming and I have to go make the money to feed my ever-growing teenage boys. Yeah, <laughs> those hungry children. <laughs> <laughs> they are very expensive to feed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I want, like I've referred to, I want to have um, 
a hub of advocacy for our industry that is multi-layered mm -hmm. for many ways that people can get involved to help drive positive change in our industry. But the first it starts with is education. So, you know, by coming to, by speaking at the summit and coming to workshops um, and just sharing with people, even the idea, because for a lot of people, like they've never thought about it before. They don't know, yeah. you know, they, they don't, they don't know. They don't know there's a different way to go or a better way to go. And to help people understand why we need to think differently and then to give them the tools to start thinking differently and doing differently. Um, that's big. And that all precedes then going to, you know, the makers and the suppliers asking them to rethink and retool. Well, you're kind of running those on a parallel track because you've been doing the education. You're not, you're actually, yeah, you're taking a pause for wedding season, but that's, you probably are scheming all the things for fall and winter and next spring that you've already, you know, just haven't announced. And then yeah. the other parallel track is just this, this wonderful, um, not only the petition, but this wonderful dialogue that you're having, uh, as you said, on an international scale with like-minded uh, designers in, on other continents and in other markets who, frankly, have access to the same product we do here in the U.S., and it's, it is a global issue. Yeah, I mean, we're one small planet, and we all share it. I just have to say, I really wanted you to be with me when I was in Chelsea at the Chelsea Flower Show because there's this thing that happens. It's a very cool event called Chelsea in Bloom, and it's it's this luxury shopping district that's right next to where the Chelsea Flower Show takes place. And all the storefronts decorate with flowers these amazing thematic displays. You've probably seen some of them on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and it's like all, you know, it's Gucci and Fendi and like all the, you know, luxury brands are paying designers to create these beautiful installations. This year, the theme was Under the Sea. Mm -hmm. And it was intended to raise awareness of all the garbage that's going into our oceans and our need to mitigate that. And Toby, I would say 99% of those installations were made with foam and I was, I could not even take photos of them. I was so distressed by it. Uh, and it would, it, it was like, where did the dot get not connected here? Somebody made, a, and I see it as a crisis communications issue. I wanted to call, but I know it's all volunteers. So, but somewhere, someone didn't raise their hand and say, this is not okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was tragic. Anyway. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and so, exactly. So um, we, uh, we, we need to find a better way. Um, but there was one designer, and I wish I could remember her name, but there was one designer, I want to say she's from Spain, that did a foam-free one, and it was amazing. So well, yeah, actually, there was a des the design, the, the design for Dolce & Gabbana was 100% foam-free, and I took photos of it and talked to them extensively. They created this sort of, they used plants, they used, um, uh, like, zonal geraniums and they kind of koki damad each plant yep. um, and put it into this giant matrix that was almost like plastic fence or not plastic but um coated fencing uh over plywood so i have photos of that i'm going to share those with you and uh toby because i think that that was that was really insightful to see one designer make a choice not to have 
mountains of foam, you know, framing the windows of Dolce & Gabbana fashions. So it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I said 99%. There were a few people who, who like, if you were a, if you were part of that, you'd be out there going, ah, oh, no, we're going to do it this way. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, let's I, not get the microplastics of the floral foam and dump it into the ocean where it's never going to break down because it's in an anaerobic environment. Like, we can't do that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. But, you know, it's, it's conversations like this that are going to help spread, hopefully like wildfire, to help other people learn. Yeah. I mean, those designers just probably didn't know, you know, and they maybe had some constraints of budget and duration, like longevity, as to made them think that it wasn't really possible to do what they wanted to do without foam. But, yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. Think a few steps harder. Exactly. Well, hey, um, we have had such a w- wonderful conversation, and oh. I am so excited that I'm going to see you. I mean, we see each other often. We live in the same, you know, time zone, but uh, oh. it'll be great to go to the Twin Cities and spend <laughs> a few days with you. I just have to brag on Toby Nelson uh, for everybody listening. Um, it, it, she is a getting to become more widely published. And in the current issue of Country Gardens Magazine, if you, I think it's the summer issue, you will have to pick it up at the newsstand. Of course, there's a, a potting shed on the cover. That's what they always do. But there's a really fun article that Toby and I produced together uh, last summer on botanical jewelry. And it's um, teaching the home gardener how to use uh, cuttings from their garden to make earrings and cuffs and necklaces and Toby designed the story and it's really a beautiful story and uh it's just out on the newsstand now so they did uh, a beautiful job with that absolutely and uh, we had a great model and we had a great photographer and uh I wrote it and Toby designed it so uh anyway that's out and then I'm gonna just open this this, are you allowed I'm going to I'm gonna tell everyone that the I just got an advanced copy of the July issue of Florist Review. Uh, as a contributing editor, they send me um, several copies very early, straight from the printer. Uh, I'm looking at the cover, and I say, oh, the theme is wearable florals. Oh, what a beautiful model with a beautiful headpiece on the cover. And then I flip through and find the article. There's two-page spread about Toby and her work. And then I go back to the cover, and I look on the t- table of contents page, and oh, lo and behold, it is a Toby Nelson design on the cover and it is stunning and i think by by june 12th when this podcast airs we will be able to share that cover of the july issue so people can see it uh toby congratulations thank you it's pretty exciting it's pretty big pretty much a big deal i mean like you said it's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry in the u.s and or north america maybe and here here's um your one of your beautiful Foam-free headpieces. I guess you don't usually use foam in a headpiece, but it's a beautiful, uh, fantastical headpiece. And uh, just, Thanks, yeah. It's, and was that something? Having that, a good team. Yeah. Say that again. It's a testament to having a good team. So, like, word of advice to people: if you're doing a photo shoot, be super intentional about who you involve and what your goal is, because you know when you when you are, it works. So that was a piece uh, that you created kind of just for yourself with some collaborators. You didn't say, oh, I am I know this is going to land on the cover somewhere, right? No, but we all knew kind of the look we wanted, and we were all very careful about the decisions we made for the end product. And 
honestly, when we got the shots back, I'm like, oh man, this needs to be a cover shot. Really? Oh, wow. This needs to be the cover of a magazine. I mean, I just thought that. And so that's like, okay, set your intentions. So, Mm. I mean, I had no idea that it would ever be one. Mm. And that wasn't the thought going into doing it. But, you know, anyway. Yeah. So the quickly, the, the team, you're talking like the model, the hair, the makeup, the photographer, photographer. Yeah. and the photographer was the amazing Suzanne Rothmeyer. No, that no. one is Shannon Beauclair. Oh, so Beauclair Photography. Oh, yep. say, say her name again. Shannon Beauclair. Okay, and so, she is she someone you've you've collaborated with uh, in the, this first, area? Yeah, that was our first time collaborating, and her daughter did the makeup, and it's pretty crazy makeup, and the hair is great. Anyway, I oh. can. People can visit my feed, and I'll put a little post up about oh, that. Oh, yes. Oh, that's exciting. Oh, that's great. And you had some other pieces that Suzanne had photographed. Yeah, Suzanne's and, pictures are in the article for sure. Yeah, and she also helped uh, teach at the last Whidbey Flower Workshop, so I, I admire her work, too. Well, you you know how to find good collaborators, so that's awesome. Uh, Toby, anything else you want to uh, throw out into the universe before we oh, wrap this up? There's so much more, but um, I just encourage everyone, if you're if you're using foam, think twice. Send me an email if you don't know what to do. Let me help you um, break the habit. And uh, I hope to see everybody at the summit. Come introduce yourself. Say hi. Awesome. Toby, thank you so much. And we'll share lots of these resources that we've discussed in uh, the show notes at DebraPrincing.com. So um, thanks, Toby. I know you've got a lot of weddings on your plate this month, so I'm sure you've got something waiting for you. And uh, (laughs) I'll say goodbye now. All right. Thank you. Hugs to everybody. Thanks, Toby. Bye. Thank you so much for joining my conversation with Toby as she ch- shares her vision for a more sustainable floral profession. If you're coming to the Slow Flowers Summit on July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota, you will be wowed by the presentation that Toby and Carly Jenkins have developed for you. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of family farms in the heart of Alaska, working together to grow and distribute fresh, stunning, high-quality peony varieties during the months of July and August. Arctic Alaska Peonies operates three packhouses supplying peonies throughout the United States and Canada. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. And now let's visit the state of Michigan to meet Angie Crossfeld of Two Peas Farm and Flowers, based in Union Pier. She's part of our 50 States of Slow Flowers series. Two Peas Farm and Flowers produces sustainably grown seasonal flowers, all natural skincare, and free range eggs from happy ducks and hens. Angie and her 10 year old son are the Two Peas of Two Peas Farm and Flowers, and she'll tell us the enterprise began as little flower stand in Chicago, but that grew into something more, and that growth prompted the desire for more land and eventually the rebranding. At the end of 2017, Mom and Son moved out of the Windy City to a 10-acre property in Union Pier, Michigan, with the dream of expanding the flower business. Through a lot of hard work and a commitment to Angie's vision, the little business has taken on a new life. You might even find lemonade and homemade ice cream at the farm stand Friday through Sunday, late June through October, if, as Angie says, the little pea is working. 
I'm so pleased to introduce you to Angie. So let's jump right in and hear more about her floral journey. Well, I'm excited today to move our 50 States of Slow Flowers series to the state of Michigan. And my guest today is Angie Crossfelt. And Angie, you are the uh, farmer florist at Two Peas Farm and Flowers, right? That's right. And I'm so happy to be. This is my first podcast, so I'm so excited to be on it. Well, you have a great radio voice, Angie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks. I hear all the time. You sound like your your Chicago accent is so thick. Oh, is it? That's so interesting. Okay, so give us the story. (laughs) Give us a snapshot of where Two Piece Farm and Flowers is located in Michigan, and then what's the connection with Chicago? Sure. So Two Piece Farm and Flowers is located in Union Pier, Michigan. And Union Pier, Michigan is in southwest Michigan. It's about six miles from the Indiana-Michigan border. Oh, wow. And it really is a a summer community. Mm -hmm. There's under 500 residents here. um, But it's a place where you have a lot of people from Illinois and some people from Indiana as well that come here um, in vacation in the summers. So it's it's really a kind of a touristy place in the summer, um, and mm. it sort of feels like my people are coming because you get a lot of people from Chicago that come up. What um, um, is we, it on? Is it on one of the Great Lakes? Yes, it's on Lake Michigan. Oh, it mm-hmm. is on Lake Michigan. Yeah, we're not okay. too. Uh huh. Yes, we're not too far from the lake, and it was a part of you know coming here and moving here. We moved here from the city of Chicago, and we lived right off the lake as well. There, we wanted to stay close to the lake. Wow. Wow. So um, I just want to acknowledge what you said about the the kind of summer community. I feel like a, not a lot, but I meet, I meet a number of people who have successful flower growing uh, and design businesses that are strategically placed near, you know, destinations, second home or vacation areas. Mm-hmm. And generally those seasons align with when the flowers are available. So I'm, I'm guessing you have more than 500 uh, customers to uh, market to in in the like Memorial Day to Labor Day kind of season, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's, I don't even know the how many extra people come to this town, but it, you know, it just essentially it, it just blows up with people. <laughs> they are coming, you know. It's a we live on the bike trail as well, so you have a lot of people that come down and bike and um, wow. pass the home and. There, you know, people are driving by and taking pictures of, you know, we have ducks that kind of are roaming around and the flowers and it's just a really, it's just a great feeling in Southwest Michigan in the summer. And we also picked the location because I, I grew up going to Michigan in the summers and, you know, we just have a real love for it. Wow. Wow. So you've hinted at your Chicago accent. Give us a little bit of a, a, a bring us along on the story from how you transitioned from your Chicago-based business to being a Michigan-based uh, business now? Sure. Um, so we started in uh, Chicago, and we were called Little Flower Stand. We started in 2016. Um, I guess my foray into gardening, floriculture, started with this project in Chicago. It's called the Peterson Garden Project. Oh, and it's I've heard a of that. community garden. Yeah, yes. it's wonderful. It's a giant project, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And and it was really cool because we, I was able to get in when they, the first year kind of launched, um, which was great because it, it's really hard to get a community garden spot, you know, in urban areas and mm. some urban areas, there can be a long wait list and there were other gardens. Um, so I got a plot there. It was 
so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, my son was an infant. I used to throw him on my back <laughs> with his little bike helmet <laughs> and we would go there and we would garden. Um, and then in 2011, so that was around 2010. Okay. Um, I had the plot for a couple years. Then I bought my condo in Chicago and there was this unused space. Um, our yard was fenced in. We actually didn't have a lawn. It was all perennials that we continued to build. But we had this space that was off of the parking lot. And it was just lawn, unused lawn, not fenced in. And I said, hey, can we make this a garden at an association meeting? They said, sure, you know, we'll put the money into it. But we don't want to, you know, you got to take care of it. You work it. You do everything for it. And I was like, great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. Thank you. Um, and so that's what I did for six years. I worked in that garden. Um, I eventually, and this is so funny that we expanded up to the roof Oh my gosh. and the way I got up onto the roof is hilarious because it's a Chicago flat top and I had to, it's like a pop, uh, a latch at the top that I had to take like an extension ladder to go up and down. And I rigged this pulley system because I had tulip crates up there that I was growing out oh of. Oh my God. It was crazy. You must have had, there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> you must have had great <laughs> upper body, uh, like muscular <laughs> development. <laughs> oh my gosh. Everybody gets in, in working order, right. And, and work good physical order when you're uh, gardening <laughs> in, in general. So, but, um, so we were, I was growing up there and then, uh, there was just a real demand for local flowers. And of course, everything started with your friends, you know, uh, helping you out. And um, I had bouquet subscriptions and things like that. And um, I also um, had customers in the suburbs of Chicago, um, West side and on the North, uh, the North shore. And I started to just think about getting a bigger space, but it was also kind of like my word, how could I afford this? I don't know if I could do it kind of like that little light that starts to grow. I started looking at properties slowly. I looked in Illinois, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And I eventually settled on Michigan because it just, I was so tied to it. Mm -hmm. Um, This isn't the area that I grew up going to. Um, That's a little bit further out, but I continue to work a full-time job um, in Chicago. What? So it was... (laughs) Wait, right now? Yes. Oh my gosh, Angie, I had no idea. How far, what is the commute? So the commute is, it's 80 miles um, one way from where I live to my office um, in the, I work in Streeterville, the medical district. Okay. Um, I I work for the children's hospital, wonderful organization um, that allows me a lot of flexibility. So I work, I, when I first moved out here, I was driving in three days a week. I'm now only going in one day a week. Um, But um, I needed to be close enough that I could commute into Chicago. And you'll actually find that there's quite a bit of people out here that do commute into the city um, oh. that, that really stay here, or at least they do it for the summer because they have a second home and they spend a lot of time doing it. So it was a lot, <laughs> but so I'm glad we're down to one day a week. So that was the idea for choosing this location. Um, I, it was at the very top of my budget. I didn't think I could swing it, but I was able to, it was <laughs> super exciting um, and, and yeah, we bought it and moved here in November of 2017. Wow. And yeah. And how much, so uh, describe, exciting. describe what you have in terms of acreage now. So it's a 10 acre property. Wow. Um, and it's partly wooded. It, it was originally a part of our neighbor's homestead. Mm. So it was the grandparents house, I believe. And they have all the outbuildings on their side. Um, so we're just the house, the garage and, you know, 10 acres, um, so it's 
there, there's no infrastructure to speak of. I mean, we didn't even have a bush on the property like, in terms of landscaping because the home had been renovated. Everything was dug up. Um, lots of trees were taken down. Um, so we're really, it's really like a blank palette for us. Uh, and you only and work on. Yeah. And this is like your second full season that you're just yeah. entering, right? Exactly. Exactly. So um, it, it, a lot is going into the infrastructure of this place. Um, and because that's me front loading all those costs where, mm-hmm. you know, it's slow and, and a thoughtful process. What kind of infrastructure are you talking about? Like, like irrigation and um, oh, yeah. greenhouses or? Well, I don't think I'm going to do, I'm, you know, never say never. Right now I'm all field grown. Okay. And that is my intention to stay that way. Part of it is because of where we're located um, by the lake. The winds are very, very intense. And I get kind of concerned because we have such open space um, where the field is at that I just, I, I have fears of running out there and trying to patch it in a windstorm, you know. Watching it and, fly away well, like I, like a <laughs> like the Wizard of Oz exactly. house. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh and I, I have to be mindful that it's just me, you know, when things go wrong, I it's gotta be I have to be able to fix it and you know. Right. So right now it's um we're just field grown. Mm-hmm. I mean um, I think that I think that's really a great comment that you just made, Angie. Like know your know your strengths, but also know your limitations and don't try to you right. know, stretch so far that you're going to end up unhappy or basically stuck somehow with, with something that you can't, you know, you can't handle growing in the field. Exactly. That's what you did in Chicago, mm-hmm. basically, right? You grew in the ground. Pardon? Growing yeah, exactly. in the ground. Exactly. It's what you know. Yeah. It's what I know. So, um, so yeah, we, but you know, I came here and I, I, I mean, we had nothing. I, everything, all the tools and implements we had were part of our condo association. Oh, so I see. The wheelbarrow, everything. I mean, every last tool, a shovel are things that I, you know, friends donated. I bought, um, and then finding somebody with a tractor to come and plow the field, um, irrigation, just truly everything. And then I, I really, like to take cuttings from around my home as well. And like I said, there was no um, landscaping or or any sort of a plant around the house. So building that up as well. um, It's just, you know, it's, it's quite a bit. Um, So yeah, slow growth. And I I remember, you know, often when you're getting advice from people who have been doing this for years and they're really mentors to you and they always talk about starting out slow, don't bite off more than you can chew, Mm. you know, so that you can, it's, you have to have some patience, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's bit by bit if you want to be sustainable. So that's kind of how I'm thinking of it. It's so interesting. You say that I just uh, produced a photo shoot for better homes and gardens on Monday in this amazing garden in my community uh, in the Seattle area. And this woman had a truly like a very established rose mixed perennial garden with gorgeous trees and after I interviewed her, I realized she kept saying, well, I, that, that just started as a one gallon and now it's this giant shade tree. Or she's like, that was just a cut. That was just a cutting. And I said, you know what? The theme of this story is patience. You can't have, oh, yeah. you can't have an instant garden and you can't have an instant flower farm. It just takes time. No. I should tell you a funny story. My ex-husband used to, we would go pick up flowers, you know, from the local garden center. And he basically would like apologize to them from when we would bring them home because they were going to die because I would kill everything. I couldn't (laughs) keep anything alive. It was terrible. 
I met with many years ago. You obviously, now, obviously have changed that narrative. <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, again, if there's a will, there's a way. Wow. So uh, when you said you had somebody plow up the, the land, roughly what? It, uh, how much have you devoted to field-grown crops in terms of, like, square footage or... Well... Sure. We're doing something different this year. So last year, so I'm working in clay soil, which is a challenge Mm -hmm. and very different from what I was working in before. Actually, the field is sort of on a diet. It's on an angle. So Mm. it's partly sand Mm -hmm. as you're getting closer to the dunes and the lake. And then it's partly clay. So we had it um, plowed up and we did a lot of things really quickly because we had gotten in here in November. So I was quickly getting the bulbs in the ground. And there was a lot of things I brought from Chicago that I had to, you know, get planted. And sure. We had the, um, we plowed the field in very early spring and it just needed a lot of amendments and a lot of work. So basically it, um, it we, I had a half an acre tilled up and the weeds just ate everything. I mean, they were, they were happy. totally out of control. They were so happy. It was, a challenge and I wasn't using weed cloth, which I know better now. Um, cause I thought I'll stay on top of it mm. and in your spare time, crazy talk. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. So this year, um, it's getting plowed up, but we're tarping it. Actually, we're putting in a bunch of amendments and tarping it and it will be tarped until late fall. Um, I have a, I'm getting, um, I'm increasing our peony stock and that will go out there and, and some other perennials that we'll be putting out there. Um, and in the meantime, I built about 46 raised beds um, around the property. And I also um, put in um, lots of perennials around our house and in our space and in a shade garden in the front. Um, and then we have some 50-foot rows as well mixed in. So it's much smaller this year, but I actually think I'm going to have quite a bit more product yeah. um, this year than I did last year. And you're not going to be fighting that weed pressure so much. No, they're growing in straight compost. I mean, our tulips looked so beautiful this year. It was so wonderful. And last year, it was a hot mess. <laughs> but this year, they look great. So I know um, I'm really feeling optimistic about the rest of the season. Wow, that's that's really those are some really good tips that um, you know ex- sort of explain the scale and what works. Uh, Forty six raised beds is pretty ambitious. How big are they? They're eight by four. Wow. Um, okay. That's manageable. And yeah, I ha- it's manageable. I have, um, I have four of those. <laughs> so I'm just yeah. going to walk in my backyard and just do the math and be really impressed. <laughs> yeah. And we, um, well, I started, I, I put five in last season and it was supposed to be just for vegetables and things that, you know, cause it's right off the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, Herbs. and now it's just filled with everything. Um, we lost last year, almost all of our dahlias to rot. Mm. I mean, I had a big stock of them and we lost them. So I think even when we get that field in working order, we'll probably keep the dahlias in these beds because the drainage is so good. That's so smart. Um, and they yeah. really need it, yeah. you know? So well, let's... Um, we'll still plant it. At... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, and in the middle of the beds, we have put in, you know, I say I don't have any structures, but we, you use what you have and we... I met this wonderful flower woman. It was really serendipitous on Craigslist when I was buying a chicken coop. She's amazing and actually sold at one of the markets here, but she gave me their chicken run, which is basically a shell of a greenhouse. Mm. Um, So we're putting a polycarbonate roof on it um, and wrapping it. And that's where I'll do my seed starting and stuff, but it's in the middle of the beds and it just looks very 
uh, it looks really nice in oh. the midst of all this. Oh, good. That's cool. So I mean, it's like something you can step into and you had oh, the, yeah. you had the no, framework, it, but you had to finish it yep. off. Exactly. The whole framework, everything was on there. Um, it just had bird nests essentially to keep the birds in and the predators, the aerial predators out. We're putting roofing on it. Um, and yeah, it'll be good to go. It's totally, it's an eight by 16, I think. Yeah, um, there's, there's your infrastructure. I love it. There's our little seat starting space. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, well, listen, um, before we wrap up, I want to talk about Two Peas Farm and Flowers and uh, your rebranding because you, you yes. started as Little Flower Stand. And was yes. it the change when you moved? I think so. You know, we, when we moved here, First of all, the first year was just so challenging and not, not even just the growing, but we had just everything that could go wrong with the house could go wrong. And coming from the city, I had no idea about septics and wells and who do you call for these things? And mm. do you call a plumber for the well or you know what is going really? on? Really? Oh my so gosh. We were, it was a huge learning curve. Um, and honestly, that first year I thought, I don't know if we're cut out for this. Maybe I shouldn't have left Chicago. <laughs> I was pouring all this money into fixing things with our home that it was taking away from a lot of the product that I needed to buy to plant, but we were resilient and we got through truly a year of major challenges. Um, and it just felt like the right thing to do. It was time to rebrand. We're in a totally different place. I mean, this is a huge change for both my son and I, um, and it just felt like the right thing to do. Mm. So we kind of tossed around some names and, Friends, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And um, we came to two P's. That's so sweet. And it, you, it's you and your son is the other P. And what uh, you said, he's, he's 10. Made, yeah. He just turned 10 a couple days ago. Oh yeah. So um, uh, that's yeah. so sweet. I'm sure that he <laughs> uh, will maybe help you uh, more in the future. But how much, how hard <laughs> is it to get a 10 year old to weed? <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, we have Sunday chores and a part of Sunday chores are he's my seed starter. <laughs> Got it. So I'll tell you what, he started and he was happy about it. And now he's like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I get it. He's just at that age, you know, but, um, he's, it just vacillates one yeah. day. He's so excited. One day he wants to, you know, get deep into Harry Potter. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm on the mom of sons too. <laughs> is your market, yeah. is your market pretty much in the Union Pier area or are you selling into Chicago? Well, I, for when I was first out here, I was selling into Chicago because I didn't really, I had absolutely no community out here. I mm -hmm. didn't know anybody that lived here. Um, there, you know, especially full-time. Um, I wasn't, partnered up with any of the businesses. So I was still going and selling in Chicago um, and still doing events in Chicago. Wow. Um, but this year we've been lucky enough to make some headway um, with local businesses. And through them, we've met a lot of the, the summer community that's mm. been coming up. Mm -hmm. um, and also because there are so many people with second homes that they rent out, um, the rental market has reached out to us also about providing fresh flowers weekly for when they transition to new people coming in. Oh, um, that's been an inroad that I had never really thought about before. No, I'm not doing events this year on my own. I'm only freelancing. So I'm freelancing with um, Chicago florists, but mm. I'm not taking on that this year or this season. Right. We'll see if I get back to that. Wow. <laughs> but that's it's been amazing. really fun to work with other florists because you get that design piece that you really like to do, but you're not doing all the proposal and the back and forth and all that kind of stuff. You just get to do the fun stuff. It's kind of nice. 
Plus, they're probably saying, Angie, if you're going to come work for us, bring some buckets of flowers and we'll buy them from you, right? <laughs> oh, sure. They always ask, you know, if we sell wholesale. And we do, but it depends on the bloom. So it's like things that we will have a lot of, like lisianthus and dahlias, of sure. course, in the sp- early spring, tulips and daffodils. And then there's other things that we sell just direct to customers because we just don't have enough to sell wholesale. Right, right. Wow. I am so impressed. I can't, I mean, basically you're running two, two businesses or your own personal business and then working yeah. full time. It's, it's I am. just, women are just fierce. I, I moms oh especially, gosh. I'm really, I really admire you because I just, I'm listening to you thinking, you when, when do you rest? <laughs> It is crazy. And if I, if you would have told me nine years ago (laughs) that we'd be here, you know, me and my infant son, and we were in a different place financially, that's for sure. And struggling, I could not believe it. So Mm. this is a big source of pride Mm. to be here. That's wonderful. Well, please let's uh, show some photos uh, of, of Angie Crossfeld and um, (laughs) of Two Peas Farms and Flowers. What's your son's name? His name is Michael. Okay, so Michael might show up in those two. I don't know. It's, it's your, you will, dis- yeah. your discretion, Mom. <laughs> and um, I'm just excited that we could. I, I could hear your story. I, I really love your branding, and I've spent time on your website Thank and follow you. you on social. But it's really nice to nice to chat. And uh, if I get to Michigan, I know I'm going to come to Union Pier, especially in the summer. It sounds like it's fabulous. Yes, and we would absolutely love to have you. Okay, thank you so much, Angie. Um, Thanks for sharing your story, and um, best wishes for a great season. (laughs) Thank you so much, Deborah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. so much for joining me as I spoke with Toby and Angie about their passion for the Slow Flowers movement and how they have intentionally designed their floral enterprises to support their values and their lifestyles as mothers and artists. I'm so grateful to you for joining me and for spending your time listening to the Slow Flowers podcast. Thank you to our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement as our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry. The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our next sponsor spotlight is the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. You'll want to check out the upcoming regional conference scheduled for Sunday, July 14th and Monday, July 15th in Maine called In the Thick of It. It will feature flower farm tours, networking with other growers, and bonus tours of Johnny's Selected Seeds and the Coastal Maine Botanical Gardens. It will be a beautiful chance to see both Snell Family Farm and Broadturn Farm at the peak of the season. I'll have a link to details in today's show notes as well. 
I am so excited about the upcoming Slow Flower Summit, and I hope you can join me and our vibrant and engaging lineup of presenters on July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. The countdown has begun with just a few weeks to go before I see you in the Twin Cities. We've already sold more tickets than last year's entire sold-out conference, and there are a few tickets left, so please don't delay anymore. Visit today's show notes for links to more details or head straight to slowflowersummit.com to grab your space and join me. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 477,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Music.